You're listening to the North Canton Chapel podcast. Thank you for joining us today. The North Canton Chapel exists to make much of Jesus every day to everyone. It's our prayer that this podcast will equip you to do just that. We believe that there's nothing like the church united together in gospel community. We'd love if you'd stop in and say hello in person if you're in our neighborhood. Our gathering times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Thank you again for joining us today. Let's listen in. So last week, Brandon uh, spoke to us about the first half of chapter 1 of Ephesians. And he mentioned the fact that that, that verses 13 through 14 in the Greek is just one long run-on sentence. 202 words, actually, in that one sentence. Uh, the pastor of, former pastor of All Souls Church in London, John Stott, wrote this about that sentence. He said his speech pours out of his mouth in a continuous cascade with such joy and intensity that he dared not pause to take a breath, much less end it with a period. I love that. Uh, It's like Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, just couldn't wait to get those words out about who we now are in Christ. In those first 14 verses of Ephesians 1, we have mentions of Christ either pronouns pointing to him or direct mentions of his title or name. We have those 14 times in those first 14 verses. 11 times we hear in him or in Christ. Driven home in those first 14 verses is this life that Paul is going to call us to live into, to embrace, to to fully live out. This life he wants us to grow up in, he wants us to know its source is Christ absolutely just drives it home again and again, and he just can't say enough about it. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants us to know the blessings that are ours because we are in Christ. And as Brandon drove home last week, we are chosen, holy, blameless, predestined, adopted, blessed, redeemed, forgiven, sealed. We are inheritors. God wants us to know that the grace of God has been lavished all over us. We are immersed in it. And then Paul goes on. And here it's like he takes a quick breath, and then he runs right back into another very long sentence in the Greek. Now it's 169 words in this next section that he goes. It's almost like he just again can't wait to get these words out. He wants us to know them so so deeply, passionately, wants us to understand what is true of us, what is true of everything now. Because we are in Christ, everything has changed. In Ephesians 1.15, he starts with these words, for this reason. And I think it's likely he's pointing back to what he's just said. He's just continuing it. He's pointing back, says, for this reason, because all of this is true of us now that we are in Christ. Because of all that has happened because of Christ. For this reason, Paul says, I can't stop thanking God. Not thanking them, thanking God, because he's the source. He is the one who's done this in him. And he says, I can't stop thanking God for the fact that I see in you, you embracing and flourishing in this in Christ life that you now have. And there's two ways that he points out that he says, these are signs that you are flourishing in it, that you get it, that you're embracing it. First is your faith in Jesus. You trust him. You are growing in your trust in him. You get it. You understand everything has changed because of Christ. 
And secondly, you've changed in the way you relate to others who are in Christ, right? You now see them through this in Christ lens. You understand you are completely transformed by what Christ has done for you, but you also look at others who are in Christ and you see them differently. You love them differently because they too are these people who have God's grace lavished all over them in these remarkable ways. So of course we relate to them differently. And he tells us these things because he wants us and he prays for them because he wants us to persevere in this in Christ life, to continue to grow in it, to continue to grow deeper in it, to embrace it more deeply. Now I, like I think many of you, uh, was raised to be a put your head down, work really hard, stick at it and persevere kind of guy. Many times I find that I lack the talent that I think I need to accomplish something. I lack the intelligence that I think I need to accomplish something. But I've always put a lot of faith in, but if you just work hard, if you push hard, if you, if you just work longer hours, if you just do more, you can kind of overcome it. It's interesting in this prayer that Paul prays for these Ephesian believers, and ultimately for us, that he really doesn't pray just that they would work harder. Paul seems to understand that this, in Christ's life, it is going to be fueled by something different than just hard work. Now, I'm not against hard work. Hard work's fine. But this, in Christ's life, if that's what you depend upon, your ability to work hard, to do more, to try harder, you're going to fail miserably at it. Because that is not the fuel that drives it. And it's clear in Paul's prayer for them that that's not the fuel that drives it. John Owen, so here's a 17th century theologian, John Owen. He says, our greatest hindrance in the Christian life is not our lack of effort, but our lack of acquaintedness with our privileges. I love that statement. Our greatest hindrances. It's not that we don't try hard enough. And I'm quick to think that's my problem. I need to try harder. But John Owen says, actually, the greatest hindrance is we just don't understand what is ours in Christ. If we understood that, it changes everything. The effort becomes different if we could just get a hold of that. In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul passionately wants us to understand that everything's changed in Christ. And then when you get to chapter 4 and following, the second half of Ephesians, he will tell you, go do. He will tell you to do some things that will be difficult to do. But what I love in the book of Ephesians, he doesn't start there. He doesn't start with go do. He starts with, here's who you are. Here is what is true of you and of true of other believers who are with you and true of the church because of Christ. I want you to embrace those blessings and to own them and to sit in them because it's out of that that the to do will make sense. It's out of that that you will be empowered to do. And you will do in the right way, not in a way that's just about you. You've got to start there. And I've got to tell you, I'm a person a lot of times wants to start with the, what do I need to do? It's not where Paul starts. I've often said, and some of you have been here less than a year, and you've already heard me probably say this, that uh, morality or right living that we're called to as Christians always has a face in front of it. It's not morality for the sake of morality. It's not live the Christian life for the sake of just living the Christian life. We're always called to live it in a way that's relational. A passage you all know well, Matthew 22, beginning in verse 36. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The Christian life is a life that's always lived in relationship. We do the right things because those things either love our God or love somebody else. When you separate them from those relationships, they become kind of the works of the Pharisees, right? They're about us. They're just about, I want to be that person, not about loving my God or loving the others that he calls me to. That is always these choices will have a face in front of them. They're about a relationship, and they are fueled by that relationship, by a relationship with God. So Owen says that our greatest hindrance in the Christian life is our lack of acquaintedness with our privileges. But I would argue that our greatest privilege is actually our union with Christ. That's the real privilege. All these other things that we list, they're the things that grow out of that. But they are all just simply the, the things that happen when we are with Christ, when Christ is in us and we are in Christ. This is simply what's now true. Union with him, by far our greatest privilege. Uh, Michael Reeves written a beautiful little book called Rejoicing in Christ. And in it he says this, Our union with Christ is not just the appetizer in the Christian life. The soup we push back as we wait for the meat to arrive. It's not the doorway that leads us through into a life that is about something else. It is the stake in the living room of the Christian life. The Christian life is about being with God. The Christian life is about being with our Savior, Jesus Christ, in union with him. That's the core of it. That's the beginning of it. That's what sustains us. That's what it ultimately is about. Very good news is that Jesus Christ uh, was sent for us, that he died on that cross, that he rose again to new life, that we can know eternal life. That is very good news. But ultimately, the good news is more than that. The good news is not just that he's enabled us to enter into this eternal life. The good news is that we get to live eternal life with him. That's what this is about. It's relationship with him. And if we don't get that, we miss everything else. It is the core. And so the Apostle Paul begins praying for these people that he's just told him. Uh, this, this song of praise, here is what's true of you. And now he says, and here's what I've been praying for you. Because I don't want you just to get this now. I want you to flourish in this, grow in this, embrace this, and live out of this. I want this to be the core of your very being. So he says, beginning in verse 16, I did not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. He prays. The Holy Spirit would give them wisdom and revelation that they would understand and know God. They would know everything about it. He says, I want the eyes of your heart enlightened. In biblical usage, the heart is more, we always think of it just kind of as the root of emotion or feelings. But in biblical usage, the heart was seen as the, as the core of our will and our mind and our emotions. It was the center of every part of our inner being. And he's saying, in every part of your being, I want you to know I want you to understand. I want you to get this. And then he gives us three very specific things that he wants us to get. 
He prays the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened so that they would know, first, know what is the hope to which he has called you. I want you to know that. Uh, Paul prays they grow to know, not just in an intellectual way, not just in their mind, but they would know in the very core of their being, they would understand that they have a hope that God has called them to. I think he's actually referring back to those verses that he just spoke in 3 through 14. He said, these things are now true. These are who you are in Christ. These are who he has made you, a new creature. And now go live that out. We have a hope. That isn't just what happened to you. That is who you now are. Today, tomorrow, forever. This is your life. That is always going to be your hope. I am a person, to be honest, uh, who when I look ahead, I can get kind of stressed out. I look ahead at the things that, um, that I want to be true in my family, in my church, the job I want to do, the person I want to become. I look ahead at those things, and honestly, it just feels overwhelming sometimes. It feels overwhelming because I just know I don't have the resources, the tools I need to live that out. Uh, I, again, my temptation is to say, try harder, work harder, push harder, persevere, just keep trying. I look ahead and I think, I just don't have enough. And it can feel stressful, and it can sometimes feel scary, it can feel overwhelming. The truth is, I don't. And the Apostle Paul wants you to know, you don't, apart from Christ. But you are now in Christ. You are now a new creature. Own that. Live that out. Believe that. Make it a core part of your being. It's not what you can do because of your efforts. It's what you can do because Christ is in you and with you and you are in Christ. Everything has changed. As you dwell in Christ, as that image of the vine tells us, as you dwell in Christ and the power and the life of Christ flows through you, you now can produce good fruit. You now can do unbelievable things that have lasting reward and lasting impact because of Christ. Everything has changed. You truly do have hope now. Christ, Paul wants his readers to know that God's that God choosing them, adopting them, making them holy and blameless, blessing them, redeeming, forgiving, and sealing them, lavishing his grace all over them, that this has radically changed everything today, tomorrow, for all of eternity. It's different. Imagine how different life would be if we honestly own that. If we honestly believe that. I truly am a new creature. These other people that I get to serve God with, worship him with, go out into the world with. They are new creatures, chosen by God. Uh, the people that have been blessed by him and empowered by him to go out and do his work in this world. Imagine if I truly believed that, how different I would face those challenges. Uh, I think fear would start to fade away. I think those things that feel overwhelming and beyond me, I'd say, yeah, they are. But thank God I don't walk into them by myself. I walk into him with my God, and I walk into him with others who God also is with and who he has transformed. Uh, I think we could walk in with a new kind of hope. The second thing Paul prays for him, pray they know that, and then he prays, know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. 
Now, this can be interpreted two different ways. There's a lot of people go back and forth and have long arguments about this. It could be interpreted that Paul is saying, I wish you would know uh, the things that you have inherited from God. I think more likely what this passage is saying, uh, that you would know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance, God's inheritance in the saints. The saints, all of us who know Christ. He says, I pray you would know that you are God's inheritance now. You are the ones that God looks forward to someday fully being his, being before him, fully praising him and living with him and for him. That you are the ones that he will celebrate and find great joy in. That's who we are now. We are valued in a way that we can only begin to scratch the surface of imagining. Everything has changed. Uh, Pastor and theologian Sam Storms put it this way. We are the principal means by and through which God now and forever after will display the indescribable splendor of his resplendent beauty. Paul's prayer is that the Spirit might enable us to appreciate and enjoy and celebrate and marvel at this unfathomable value which God places on us. This unfathomable value that God now places on us because we are in Christ. And he sees us. He sees us as people in Christ. The incredible value that he places upon us. Again, I've only been here less than a year, and I'm already going to start repeating illustrations to some of you, because I've only got a few. Uh, and one of this that some of you have heard, because I use it often, is I often talk about a photo album when I'm meeting with people and talking with people. I talk about the fact that all of us, to some degree, decide who we are. We shape our view of ourself, our identity, by looking into the faces of others. And really, they're our mirror in a lot of way, right? All through our life, we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of faces that we look into, and we try to read in them, in their response to us, what they say to us, how they think about us, how they act towards us. We try and kind of read through that, who are we? Who are we? What do I bring to my world? What has value? What, what is not valuable? What do I need to change? What gets celebrated? We look in the faces of others to try and understand that. All of us have this giant photo album that we kind of carry around in our minds of all these faces we've looked into through our life that have told us something about us. Some of those are those little wallet-sized pictures you know you get in school. Uh, they've had a little bit of impact. They've told me a little something about myself. Some of them are these giant eight by tens the people that have just had incredible impact in my life that I've looked to again and again and again to try and decide, who am I? What do others think of me? What do I bring to my world? What value do I have? I think Paul in his prayer is saying to us, I want that, that face that you look into, that face that holds your attention, that tells you who you are and tells you how you are valued. I want that to be the face of God that I look into. I want all those other faces to become smaller. They'll still teach me something. But I want them to become smaller because I want that to be the face that you look into and says, who am I? What, what about me is loved and enjoyed and, and valued? Am I valued? Look into the face of our God. And who do you see looking back at you? What does that face tell you? And Paul says... I want you to know that that face looking back at you, 
one that values you deeply, one that is going to someday celebrate you as his inheritance. We are right now. We are right now as inheritance. He deeply values us. You know that old hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus? The chorus goes like this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look right into his face. And some of those other faces start sliding away. Because this is the face of one who loves me in unbelievable ways. This is the one who has, has given me a purpose that is so beyond me. And then empowers me to go live it out. This is the one who values me and celebrates me. Everything has changed. Finally, uh, Paul prays that you would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. Uh, a little later, chapter 3, Paul will talk about God's love for us. And it, you almost get this feeling like he just can't find words to express it. It is so huge, so big, he just can't almost find words that are enough. You feel that here when he talks about God's power. You almost can't find words that are enough. The immeasurable greatness of his power. It is so big, so beyond imagination. If we could just get it, and Paul prays, I want you to know it. I want you to know God's power. But he says his power toward us who believe. This immeasurable power of God is actually directed and expressed towards us and for our benefit. How remarkable that is, the power of God. The letter of Ephesians focuses on words for power more than any other letter in the New Testament. It talks about power a lot. Uh, and I think it probably talks about power a lot because this, this town of Ephesus, the city of Ephesus, was really a seat of power in the Roman province of Asia. In that part of the world, it was the seat of power. It was a seat of political power and financial power, educational power, social power. It was the place. But it was also seen as the seat of religious power in that area. Uh, the Temple of Artemis is twice the size of any other Greek temple. This unbelievable, at that time considered one of the seven wonders of the world, this te unbelievable temple. It was a place of many cults. It was a place of all this religious worship of, of these false gods. But it was also a place that made a lot of money by trafficking in magical powers and magical spells and cast, casting spells for you. They made a lot of money trafficking in things like amulets and trafficking in these things that somehow would give you power over the spiritual world. Uh, that, was, that was the place to go to get those things if you wanted spiritual power. In the face of that, Paul then goes on. He talks about, I wish you would know the immeasurable greatness of God's power for us, for our benefit. I wish you would get it. And then he goes on for the rest of this chapter, and he just talks about that power. It's like it, it's like it got him cranked up, and he just can't stop. He just has to tell us how incredible this power is. And he goes on, and he says, this is the power that raised Christ from the dead that exalted Christ and seated him at the right hand of God in heavenly places. This is the power that gave Christ authority far above every ruler, every authority, every power and dominion, above every name that is named. Saying he's not just ruler over this earth, but he's ruler over everything and everyone, seen and unseen, the things of this earth, the things beyond this earth. 
He has power and authority over everything. And again, Paul just wants to drive it home that this power is permanent, this power is eternal, nothing will ever threaten it. It is the greatest weapon any man can devise is dwarfed beside the power of our God. Unbelievable power. And Paul says, I just want you to know it in the very inner parts of your being. And God expresses that power for our benefit. Makes it available to us. I want you to know it. I want you to get it. Because if you could just get it, everything would change. And then he goes on and says that Christ is the head over all things to the church. He also rules and applies this power for the benefit of the church. Individually for us, but collectively for his church. I don't think we today, um, especially I would say probably in America, I don't think people tend to live in as much fear of spiritual powers. Probably don't even think or talk about them the way they did in the ancient world. But I do think we live with this sense of fear and stress and worry about those ways that evil can kind of threaten my world and my community and my family, the effects that I see. And how do we stop those? How do we fight them? And we can feel overwhelmed at times. I think sometimes we can feel like we're a part of a losing cause, right? Like, well, the church, people are leaving the church, people are running from the church, everything's changing. People just don't get the things of God anymore. They're not living out the life he calls them to. We're part of a losing cause. No one gets it. We're the strange outsiders. I think Paul wants us to, to stop and to know deep in our being this immeasurably great power of God is being used for our benefit as believers and for the benefit of the church. We really don't have to fear. This is not a losing cause. The power of God is a part of this. And that power is beyond anything you could possibly imagine. There may be times it looks like, wait a minute, we need to turn to something else, right? We need to, we need to look for something else to fight our cause. Because God seems to not be in there. You know, the psalmist says, you know, we, that they trust in horses and chariots. They turn to those things they considered most powerful for their security, for, their, um, for the life they wanted to protect it. He says, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Paul wants us to know in the very core of our being, you can trust in the name of your Lord. It's okay. You truly can trust him. And the church can trust him. Matter of fact, it says so strongly why the church matters. Because this is, this is the, the way God is going to change our world. Through his church. Say, now nah, there are better ways. Political power, military power, uh, education, turn into all the right experts. There are better ways, more powerful ways. No, this is where the, God, the power of God resides, and this is how he is going to change his world. This is what we're called to join him in invest in because this is where his power is at work and where his power will then be at work throughout the world even if it doesn't look like it to you and then he calls us to live into this life he will go on in the rest of ephesians in a sense say this is true i pray for you to get how true it is i want you to know it and then live into it live out of it don't go live apart from it Know this, own this, know it in the very core of your being, 
And now, go live that out. Go respond to it. As I was preparing for this sermon, I thought of a a conversation I had with my son many, many years ago. Uh, He's an adult now with his own kids. Uh, But when he was in elementary school, he had wrestled from the time he was, I don't know, six years old or something. And late in elementary school, I was picking him up one day from wrestling practice. And we got in the car and we're driving home. And he's kind of telling me what had happened in practice that day. And he's telling me how in these round robins he had beat everybody. And he's telling me what he learned and how good he did and what the coaches said to him. And he's all excited to tell me. And I had one of those moments uh, that just hit me. I thought, boy, I remember having these conversations with my dad. I remember working so hard uh, to try and make him think well of me, to want his approval to want to be valued by him. I remember those conversations where it was just, I just got to give him something that will make him value me the way I want to be valued, see me the way I want to be seen. And I had one of those moments. I wish I could say I had a lot more of these conversations with my son. But in this moment, I felt like God gave me the words that I wish I'd have had a thousand other times. And the words he gave me was, I, I stopped in that moment and I looked at my son And I said, you know, Caleb, I want you to know I love how hard you work at practice and how well you're doing, and I love all those things. I also want you to know I don't think there's anything you could do that could make me love you more. I don't think there's anything you could do that would make me value you more. Because I honestly think I love and value you as much as possible for a father to do. I think that you will always have that in my life. I don't care whether you do well at things or you fail at things. I want you to know you can count on the fact that I love you and you are incredibly valuable to me. And he's only in elementary school, but I could see one of those little moments in that conversation. Now the truth is, I didn't always live that out well. The truth is, I loved him, valued him in imperfect ways as a sinful father. You know, sometimes I did that well, sometimes I did that really poorly. But I wanted my son to get that. I wanted him to know that and understand that and own that. Because ultimately, I want to turn him towards the one who does that perfectly. Who loves him in ways he can't even begin to imagine. Who values him and has a purpose for him, has given him a purpose. And has given him everything he needs to live out that purpose. In Christ. I want him to turn there, and I want him to know that, and I want him to own that, because if you get that, that's Paul's prayer. If you get that, if you get who you are in Christ now, if you get the incredible value that now God has placed upon you and will place upon you for all eternity, if you would get the power that is yours in Christ, if you would just get those things, everything's changed. Your future is different. The present is different. Everything has changed because of that. If we could just get it. And I think that is what Paul prays for us. When you have those moments when you feel kind of insecure, when you feel your not-enoughness, those times when the future seems too scary and too big, those times when uh, you just feel like, man, I'm just never going to get it together, I would encourage you, before you go do anything, 
before you go figure out your plan, what you need to change and where you need to go, I would encourage you for a moment to just stop. Turn your attention, turn your eyes towards the face of Jesus and ask yourself, who is looking back at me? What do I know from his word? What does he tell me about what, what that face is like that's looking back at me? What does he think of me? What does he want from me? What does he see in me now? Because I am his. It will also change the way we look at each other, right? Because when that other person is around you, who is a Christ follower and they kind of irritate you, I'd also say stop for a moment and ask yourself, when they look into the face of Jesus, who does he see? Our goal is to see with those eyes to see ourselves, to see others with those eyes, uh, to know this is what's true. Let's pray. Father, I thank you uh, for a love that is so big, uh, for um, a work in our lives that is so remarkable that we are literally made new creatures. I thank you for power that's beyond imagination. I pray, Lord, that we would continue to know and embrace what is true because of Christ. Uh, what is true of us, what is true of your church, what is true of the future. I pray, Lord, you would help us to hold on to and embrace and come to know deep, deep within us what is true because of you. We love you, Lord, uh, and we are so, so thankful for you. In your blessed name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the North Canton Chapel Podcast. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please share this episode with your friends or spread the word on social media. If you subscribe and leave a five-star review, it goes a long way to helping us make much of Jesus every day to everyone who hears these podcast episodes. You can also donate to this ministry at ncchapel.com forward slash give. Thanks again for joining us. May you go out into your places and spaces, making much of Jesus every day to everyone.